0: Grace and peace, and today especially, mercy be yours from God, our Heavenly Father, from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Just this past week on Ash Wednesday, a day that we set aside each year to to focus on our our mortality and our sick, these things came into much sharper focus as we received word of yet another school shooting in our nation A troubled young man with the illusion of power hid behind an assault rifle and and tore apart the lives of others. And as shocking and as tragic as, as this instance and the ones before it are, each one of them really is a microcosm of what human sin has done to the beauty of God's creation from the very beginning. So it's appropriate that in the hymn we just sang, we cried out to God from depths of woe. that hymn is actually a a hymn by Martin Luther. It's a versification of Psalm 130, which starts out, Out of the depths I cry to you. And it's appropriate that we sing that today for a couple other reasons as well. For one thing, uh, today, on this date, back in 1546, is when God called Martin Luther home. For another, today we are starting our Songs of the Messiah sermon series where we're going to be looking at a a different genre of psalm for the next six weeks of Lent, this season where where we are called upon to meditate on our sinfulness and its terrible cost. And so uh, Psalm 130 is is one of seven so-called penitential psalms, which are our prayers that Dietrich Bonhoeffer said are the most human prayers of all. And so there's no better way to start our series in Lent than with a penitential psalm. And we're going to be focusing on Psalm 51, which we've sung and and heard sung a couple of times already today. And I'd invite you uh, to pray with me the first verse of that psalm. Let's say this together. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. So as we take a look here at David's prayer, you might find it helpful uh, to have it in front of you. So I'd encourage you, grab a Bible or even the hymnal in front of you, turn to to Psalm 51, as we take a look at at this prayer of David. Now, every Psalm has a context, but oftentimes the context is, is not clearly or explicitly stated. In the case of Psalm 51, though, the context is explicitly stated. And it's quite explicit indeed. The superscription of the psalm, which is actually part of the Hebrew text, says this, that it is a psalm of David when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone in to Bathsheba. Now you might be familiar with that incident in Israel's history, one of the most scandalous events in Israel's history. King David, a man after God's own heart, had taken another man's wife, gotten her pregnant while he was away at war, then tried to convince the man that the baby was his own, and when that didn't work, sent him to the front lines to be killed. So we have adultery, we have an attempted government cover-up, and we have premeditated murder. Now David felt entitled to do these things, and, and he thought he had gotten away with it. But your sin always catches up to you, and it did to David as well. So God sends the prophet Nathan to confront David. And David, unlike pretty much every king that would follow him, repents. His heart is broken and torn in two over his sins. So he cries out to God for forgiveness and restoration and healing and mercy. And so in the first couple of verses of his prayer, three words really kind of jump out at us. Transgressions, iniquity. Sin. Transgression is a word that means a boundary has been broken, that somebody has gone where they were never meant to be. Iniquity is another word for perversion, something aberrantly, repulsively wrong. Sin, in its most basic sense, means to completely miss the mark. So these are really, really bad words. And David applies them directly to himself. He says, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. The broken and battered heart of this king who has broken and battered the lives of others cries out to God, appealing in faith to God's steadfast love and abundant mercy. The Hebrew word translated steadfast love here is chesed, which is one of the most important words in the Old Testament. It refers to God's covenantal, ever-flowing love for his undeserving people. And flowing right alongside this love of God is his abundant mercy, free, unmerited, undeserved, unearned, and yet always there for people like David. And so David prays to God and, and acknowledges his sin, not only the sins he's committed, but his sinfulness. He acknowledges that he's been sinful from birth, born like each one of us with this hereditary deadly disease. And then he acknowledges that just like every one of us, he has also become a willing and active participant in sin. So David prays, Blot out my transgressions, wash me, cleanse me, purge me. David asks the all seeing, all knowing God, To hide his face from his sins. David knows that what he needs is an all-out, through-and-through, full-scale rehabilitation. Back in the ancient world, uh, before there were printing presses, before there were typewriters, certainly before computers, everything had to be written out by hand. And in those days, there were these documents known as palimpsests, and that's what they looked like. A palimpsest was, was a piece of parchment or papyrus on which something had once been written, but because printing materials or writing materials were so expensive, the previous text had been rubbed out by somebody, turned on its side, and then something brand new was written on top of it. This is what David is asking God to do for him to rub out all of the sins of his past, to turn his life on its side, and to write a brand new story with God's own finger. So David is asking God not just to to blot out his transgressions in the past that have marred his life, but to write him a new story. So he prays, create in me a clean heart, O God. Create Barah in the Hebrew, it's the same word in Genesis 1-1 where God created the heavens and the earth. David is saying, Lord, do that again, but do it in me. Cast me not away from your presence. Don't take away your Holy Spirit that hovered over the waters at creation, but restore to me the joy of your salvation. Bring back to my life the beauty that it had before my perversion ripped it up and threw it away. So this is David's prayer, a prayer that acknowledges the depth of his sin, that appeals to the depth of God's love and mercy, that asks for a deep cleansing and the creation of a brand new heart. So what we've just done is is taken a quick look at Psalm 51 in context. And, And whenever we study the Bible together, especially when we use the Bible as a model for our prayers, as we're doing during this Lenten season, We want to do this in context. But I think with Psalm 51, there's a slight danger in that, actually. Because when we connect Psalm 51 with David's sin with Bathsheba, we might be tempted to say something like, yeah, but but I'm not an adulterer. I'm certainly not a murderer. It's kind of how we tend to look at the the shooter in Florida, isn't it? What a horrible person. I could never do that. And we put maybe David and, and people like that. In a separate category of sinner that, that can't touch us. So that leads us, are you ready? To a countercultural alert. <laughs> Remain calm, stay in your seats. All right, that's kind of silly, but that is to alert you that what is about to come flies in the face of what our culture would say. Our culture would tell you that you have absolutely nothing to be sorry for, ever. Our culture would encourage you to say, who is anybody to tell me that what I think, that what I feel deep down inside, that what I have done is wrong? In our world, the the concepts of repentance, of forgiveness, certainly of sin, have been kind of cast aside, misunderstood or, or even vilified. In a world where there is no sin, there there really can't be any sinners. But today, let's dispense with that facade. Today, let's acknowledge that, that sitting here in this building right now among us are adulterers, even murderers. Because Jesus himself has said that anyone who looks at another person with lust in his heart has already committed adultery. Jesus says that if you're angry with somebody, that if you hate somebody, You are guilty of murder. As James said in our epistle lesson today, each one of us is enticed and and lured away by our own desires. And our desires, when fully conceived, give birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So with all of this in mind, I want you to reflect real quick on, on a question. Who is the most sinful person you know? Now, you can probably think of of several people, people who have hurt you, people that you know that are engaged in things they they shouldn't be doing. But as we reflect on God's word today, my prayer would be that each and every one of us, when we ask ourselves this question, that the very first person that comes to mind for us is is who? Selves. For some of us, that's really not a challenge at all. For some of us, the the cultural pressure to pretend that everything inside of us is just fine is nothing compared to the internal pressure that's built up because of our guilt and shame. Maybe, like David, our sin is always before us, always there, this waking nightmare that won't leave us alone. Maybe we've wept tears of, of sorrow over our sin, knowing that we've let ourselves and our Lord down. Henry Nowen, this, this great writer, once said that, that most of our human emotions are intricately tied to our memories. And he says that remorse is a biting memory, that guilt is an accusing memory, and these memories have the capacity to wound us because they are deeply hidden inside our inner being. Jesus once met a woman who was, was experiencing that herself. This woman came to him. When he was dining at the the home of this self-righteous Pharisee, and this woman had a reputation in town, and she came to Jesus and was weeping because of her sins, and she knelt down and drenched his feet with her tears and then wiped them away with her hair. Now, this month, uh, in our year of discipleship, we have a specific focus. Our vicar preached on it with an excellent sermon a couple weeks ago, Pop quiz, what's our emphasis for this month? Worship, very good. Our emphasis is, is worship. Now, in the Lutheran confessions, in, in the Apology to the Augsburg Confession, this is very fascinating to me. This woman, not the magi, not, not even the angels in heaven, but this woman of ill repute is held up as the purest and truest example of what worship is. Is all about. The confessions say that this woman sought from Christ the forgiveness of sins, and therefore her worship is the highest worship of Christ. Now the people around the table that night didn't think so. They they whispered to one another, if he only knew what kind of woman was doing this to him. Maybe you've heard those whispers too. Maybe you've even whispered those sorts of things to yourself if God only knew what kind of person I was, if God only knew what kind of person I am. Well, he does know. He wants you to know too. You are forgiven. You are loved. You are wrapped in the arms of a Savior who is far stronger than any sin in your past, far more powerful than any wounding memory ever could be. More on that in just a little bit. But maybe you're still out there sitting there thinking, you know, this this sermon really just isn't that relevant to me. I I don't hate anybody. I I love everyone. I I try to do my best. I'm I'm generally a pretty good person. Well, for you, I would want to share something that I came across from a writer that I follow uh, that he put out just this past week. He says this, Great danger lurks where people assume, one, they're so bad they've out-sinned grace. We've kind of been talking about that. Or two, they're so good, they've out-virtued their need of it. Now, we we rarely admit this. We would never really come out and say, yeah, I, I don't really need God's grace. But that's exactly what our lives are saying if they are not marked by daily repentance. Martin Luther once said that he who is most depraved in his own eyes is most beautiful in the eyes of God. But he who is most beautiful in his own eyes is the ugliest before God because he lacks the light with which to see himself. So today, yes, there, there are adulterers and murderers and liars and cheaters and thieves and robbers here among us, but, but don't look around you at your brothers and sisters to find them. Look deep inside your own heart. Now those are all grave sins. But far worse is the sin of deciding that you really don't need God's forgiveness at all. Thank God he can save us even from that. Even from ourselves. He did for David. That king laid down his royal pride. Will you do the same? Will you lay down your sins before God? Will you lay down your lives, your everything That is Jesus' invitation to you today. You may have noticed in our gospel reading from Mark chapter 1, Mark kind of summarized the the main content of Jesus' preaching. It had two parts. Repent and believe in the gospel. Confess your sins to God completely and fully, and then revel in God's mercy and forgiveness and the good news of what Jesus has done for you. There is no sin so small that it doesn't need God's mercy. But there is no sin so great that God's mercy will not overcome it. And so we have a chance over the the season of Lent to, to make this prayer our own, to pray Psalm 51 together today, yes, but to continue on. If you're following along in our Songs of the Messiah reading plan through the Psalms, the Psalms of the day this week, each day, will be one of those seven penitential Psalms. You might have even noticed that our confession earlier together today and our confession throughout Lent will be taken from the seven penitential psalms. May they truly be the prayers of our heart during this season. But As we pray those prayers, let's remember something very important. That Jesus is praying a prayer of his own in response to ours. Father, forgive them. Jesus is the only one in history that that has no use for the penitential psalms, and yet Jesus chose to number himself with the transgressors, with us. Jesus willingly chose to take responsibility for our sins. It's kind of ironic, the depravity of our hearts that we work so hard to hide from everybody around us was on full display on the cross And there God did hide his face from our sins when when he turned his face away from his son who bore them. There we were purged with hyssop when a hyssop branch was lifted up to Jesus with wine vinegar to the lips that willingly took on our confession. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me, cleanse me, purge me. It's there on the cross that God wrote a new story For each one of us, it was here at the baptismal font that that story was made our own, where we were washed clean of our sins and given a brand new start. So like David, let's look back on the past and realize and recognize and rejoice that our sins have been forgiven. And then let's look to the future, to the new story that God has given us through Christ. And in that future, we will find no guilt, no shame, just brand new hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, in verse 17 of our psalm, David says that the sacrifices of God are a a broken spirit and a contrite heart. Next week, Pastor Sean's going to be continuing our series with Psalm 44, talking about the psalms of lament, these honest prayers of of pain to God. It's going to be a very important sermon, and I hope you're looking forward to it as much as I am. In the meantime, may the peace of God, which transcends our understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen.